dive into the message today because it has the potential to go long uh, because there will be not one but two preachers. And, um, and so uh, in a little while, Phil's going to join me up here and, and uh, we're going to, uh, let me just say this. Like I said, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and this is the passage where Jesus talks about murder. Um, that's not why Phil's joining me up here. Um, this is the, this is the passage where Jesus says, you know, you, you, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, you know, if, if, if you have hate in your heart, you might as well just murder. You know, that's, that's pretty much what it's saying. And uh, so I thought this was going to be a, a lesson on murder and hate. And then when I got into it, it, it turned out to be something quite different. And, uh, and so I, I'm ex- I've been ex- so excited about this message, probably more excited about this message than I've been about a message in several years. And um, because I honestly think that the, the content of this message has the potential to positively affect the future of our church more than any message I've preached in a really, really long time. Um, and you'll, you'll see why when, I, when, I, when we start unfolding it. Um, so let me, let's just dive into the passage. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to start with verse 21. It's page 810 if you're using one of the Bibles from the back. Um, and it goes like this. Jesus, uh, continuing in his Sermon on the Mount, says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offending, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. So, um, I love... As Jesus dives into this section of the Sermon on the Mount, um, he kind of turns what our normal kind of human way of thinking is, he kind of turns it on its head. Like, like for it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, I think we can all pretty much agree murder is bad, right? Anybody not on that page with me? Like murder, is anybody, yay, murder, no murder, yay, murder people in the room? No, no, get your hand down. And, uh, and so, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, it's, it is, uh, I mean, we can, we can all, those, that's kind of common agreement pretty much around the world. Murder is bad, okay? And uh, now, you, you know, there might be some difference on how you define murder and whatever, but that's, that you, whatever. So, Jesus, though, uh, takes, and, and then the, the passage that we'll be dealing next week with, you know, about adult, where he says the same thing about adultery, we can all agree, you know, cheating on your spouse, that's a pretty horrible thing to do, right? I mean, Christian or not, universal agreement, that's probably, that's, that's horrible. You're a jerk, right? And so, but Jesus takes some of these things that we take for granted, some of these kind of uh, moral uh, behaviors, moral choice or immoral, uh, you know, depending on which side you're looking at. And he kind of, he kind of flips it on its head. And in this passage, he says, you, "Yeah, we, you, you know, you know, murder is bad." But I'm, but I'm telling you, it's not just about the murder. You know, it's not, it's not just God's not upset because you got all stabby on somebody one day. That's not really the. What, what really is the issue is the condition of your heart. And he's like, okay, so, so let's say you go your whole life, no murders. Okay, you haven't murdered anybody. And Jesus is basically saying, bravo, you're so great. You're so, wow, no murders, good job, right? That's my sarcastic Jesus impression, okay? And so, so he's saying, because it's really not about that, it's about, he's like, let's say you didn't murder anybody, but uh, you, um, you're, 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 you, st- you stay angry, with, a, with one of your brothers or your sisters. You stay angry. You don't allow yourself to forgive and move on. Or you are constantly insulting uh, to someone. 
or, uh, or you just speak harshly to them because you just have this kind of uh, lack of respect or hate or whatever it is that's kind of overflowing out of your heart. You're just a hateful person. You're, you're, a, you're just a non-forgiving, hateful type of person. And Jesus' comment is, do, do, do you really think you won in life if you can just say, I didn't murder, but I was still kind of horrible in these areas here? And, and the point Jesus is bringing out here, such a great point, I put it up on this, oh, he's already up there, is that Jesus sees the sins of the heart. Jesus sees the sins of the heart. Can I, can I tell you this? I don't know if you've heard this preached before. Uh, like anybody, like we talk a lot about life change. We talk a lot about change, you know, in church and things like that and becoming better people or more godly people or whatever. Can I just tell you, anybody can change their action. Anybody can. I mean, there, there are good people outside of the Christian. Have you ever met somebody that's a good person outside the Christian faith? There's tons of them out there. there like every once in a while, I'll come across somebody that is far from God spiritually, but just a gem of a person, just like an awesome, like a kind of person you want to be around, that you want to let your kids be around, like, like just an awesome person. They're, they're generous. They're kind. They're uh, unselfish. They're wise. You know, that sort of thing. They're, they're, not, they're far from God, but they have all these great qualities. You can, anybody can change your actions. Anybody can but I'm convinced that only God can change your heart. Only God, like you can get your actions under control, but I'm not so sure you have the power within you to actually bring true change to your heart. I think it requires the Holy Spirit to do that. It really does. And I think Jesus, what he's really kind of getting at in, in the first part of this passage is, yeah, actions, I mean, Actions are important. The choices you make are important. But when it comes to the heart of the person that you are, you need, you need God for that. And that needs to be a priority for you. So, so you went all your whole life without murdering. That's great. But lots of people can do that and be far from God. Amen? And so what's the condition of your heart? Like, like when, you, when, you, when we hold up the list of the Ten Commandments and, and we kind of read off all those, you know, basic, you know, human moral commands that, that, that God has given us, that sort of thing. You might think, well, based on the Ten Commandments, I'm doing pretty good. But when Jesus says, no, but how's, how's your heart? So, okay, so you didn't kill that guy, but you hate him, and you will not let go of that hate. You didn't kill that guy, but you talk bad about him every opportunity you get behind his back. You didn't kill him, but you cannot stop insulting him. Do you really think you won? Do you really think your life represents what Christ wants it to represent? Jesus sees the sins of the heart. It's, 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 it's one of the reasons that a lot of times when, when a person dies, and, you know, and if there, a lot of times there will be questions about the eternity of that person who, who's passed on. And, uh, and one of my responses that I, that I sometimes give is that the truth is we, we can't see. We don't know. We're not God. We can't judge. Only God can see the condition of a person's heart. And so maybe it looked like this person had everything together and was doing everything right but had not allowed God to transform their heart. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe they were just a jacked-up mess of a person but somehow God had broken through and begun to transform their heart. Because God is so much more concerned with the condition of our heart, our submissiveness to him, our, our giving our lives over to him. Then he's more concerned about that than he is about our morality. Is the morality not important? No, it's, it's definitely important. It represent, it's a reflection of if God is the sun, we're the moon. You know what I'm saying? Like the, like the, the moon has no light of its own. It does not emit light. All it does is reflect the light from the sun to us. And in that same way, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not the sun, we're just the moon. We, there's no light of, in, in, us, in us of our own. We just reflect God. And if we're a poor reflection of him, then that's not, I mean, that, then we're a poor follower of him. So our choices, our morality, it is important. But God wants to know, have I got to your heart? Have I got to your heart? So, 
kind of moving now in, into this next section, which I think is really the, the biggest point Jesus is trying to make here. Not so much about murder, but more about reconciliation. So, okay, does anybody recognize this? This is like an ancient artifact. You may, some of you may not know what this is. Anybody know what this is? Checkbook, checkbook, right? Uh, long time ago, long time ago, back in the 80s, 90s, uh, there were these things called checkbooks. And we would uh, actually, whenever we spent money, we would write down the money that we spent and subtract it from the total of the money that we had. Or if we got money and we put it in the bank, we would add that number. To it. So there was this list. There's a ledger in this book. Actually, this book. Doesn't, oh, no, here it is. There is a ledger in this book. And it is. it, it tells everything that we've spent. And that's how we kept track of our money, right? It's still a really good way to keep track of your money. Um, the reason I bring this up is because anybody who is uh, kind of faithful in keeping track of your money and how much you have and don't have and how much you spent and that sort of thing <clears throat> knows a term, uh, this term that Jesus just spoke of called reconciliation. It's, it's really funny that a lot of times these, these kind of deep theological terms that we, that we look at, a term like reconciliation, um, actually was used in the first place as kind of an object. This is a financial term. It's not really a term so much about relationship as it is a, it's a financial term. And Jesus uses this term, the other biblical writers use this term of reconciliation because it was an easily identified uh, notion that they could then use it as, a, as an example for something that's going on either between, you know, two people or between man and God or, you know, whatever else, this idea of reconciliation. Now, to reconcile your checkbook, uh, to reconcile your bank, bank account means that you believe there's a discrepancy. Usually the discrepancy is you think you have more money than the bank says you have, right? That's usually that discrepancy. Um, and so then you become, you go through this process of, you, you know, you recognize, you know, that there's an issue. Then you kind of go through this process of, of trying to find that and deal with it and make everything correct so everything becomes level again, truth with truth. That's why uh, people who are uh, who, people who love math, people who are into accounting, one of the things they love so much about that line of work is it's black and white. It's right and it's wrong. There's never any, when it comes to math, there are no gray areas it is either right or it's wrong. Now, don't give me your complex math and stuff like that. I'm just talking about basic math. It's either right or it's wrong, right? And there's, for, for people who really get into math and get into accounting, there's a certain piece about zeroing everything out. Am I right, Scott? I know you're graded back there. <laughs> there's, a certain, there's a certain piece about just zeroing everything out and knowing that we got truth on both sides, right? And so... Jesus uses this term, uh, this financial term when he's talking about our relationships with each other to reconcile our relationships with each other. Now, I want to take you through the steps of reconciliation, what that really looks like, and then I'm going to call Phil up and we're going to talk a little bit more about it. But when, we, when there is an issue uh, between us and a brother or sister, now Jesus speaks directly of uh, but brothers and sisters. Okay. Now, when Jesus, it's really easy to kind of jump on that and say this is really, this is really dealing with people who are also Christians. Uh, but, when, but Jesus, when he said brothers and sisters, he's just speaking to a crowd of Jews. He basically was meaning everybody in your nation, nation, your brothers and sisters, your fellow Israelites. Uh, this is how you should be dealing with each other, right? So I, I don't think we, we can get off the hook so easy as to say this only applies to our church mates here. It, I think it really is kind of a standard of reconciliation that we should seek out. So the first step is, uh, in reconciliation is this. We have to recognize that an offense exists. We have to recognize that an offense exists. Um, and that may seem like a really simple kind of no-brainer step, but it's actually a very, very important step. Because if you're like me, like I try to be a person that doesn't get offended very easily. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we know people who just are get offended at the drop of a hat, and none of us want to be that guy, none of us want to be that gal. I try to be a person that just kind of lets things roll off and kind of put it behind me and forget about and stuff like that. But every once in a while, one of those offenses sticks to me. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of sticks to you in a way that it just, 
it just kind of keeps digging at you, and it just kind of keeps digging at you. And before long, you may, and you may have done such a good job of kind of letting it roll off your back that it takes you a little while to realize I'm upset because something's, something's been done or I feel like something's been done wrong to me. And so step one is recognizing that there is an offense. There's a discrepancy in the count. You see things this way. Somebody else sees things this way. We're not level. There's a discrepancy that has to be dealt with, right? Step two is this. You need to accurately identify the offense. Accurately identify the offense. You might be able to come up with this on your own, and you might need some help with that. You might need a person to, uh, to help you clearly identify what the offense is. Because here's the thing about offenses. A lot of times we have blinders on when it comes to offensive. We can only see the offense of the other person. And a lot of times it's difficult for us to see our own ownership in this conflict, right? And so another person can help you come to truth in that matter. Or a conversation with the person that you feel like has offended you can help you see clearly the truth in that matter. You, you may have offended them as well and not even realize it or whatever. But whatever, do a little bit of work to clearly identify what the offense is. Why is it that this upset me? And, and that's a great question. Not just what happened, but why is it that this affected me the way, the way it affected me? You know, why is it that I was offended? Because that might be your issue and not their issue. You know what I'm saying? So clearly identify the offense. Step three is this. Address your brother or your sister face-to-face. Address that person face-to-face. Can I just tell you, this is just some practical wisdom. It doesn't come from the Word of God. It, if, it was, if the Word of God was written today, it would probably be in there, but it wasn't. It was written 2,000 years ago. Do not deal with your offenses through email or texting or any of that stuff. It will not go well for you. It just, it will not, it will not go well for you because you can, there's so much that gets lost in translation through a text. Because if if you think somebody has wronged you, or if you think they're upset with you, you will take what could have been a very innocent written statement and you will read all kinds of anger and attack into that statement that may not be there at all. And it just elevates the situation and elevates the situation. It is a horrible. I tell this to our staff members at our church all the time. If if you haven't, if there's an issue, even if it's a small issue between you and another person, try to deal with that thing face to face. Don't deal with it, you know, in uh, texting or emails or whatever, uh, because you want to make sure communication is clear when you're dealing with this thing. You don't want to unnecessarily elevate the situation. Face to face. Besides that, it's just it's just the right thing to do. It's a respectful thing to do. It's the courageous thing to do uh, to to deal with people face to face. All right. Step three: bring in help if necessary. Bring in help if necessary. If I'm working through my checkbook and I have worked this thing over a dozen different times and cannot find the mistake, oftentimes it's 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 best to bring in somebody who has a keener eye about these things that can help me find where, where I've made the mistake. And the same thing is true in terms of relationships with each other. If you have gone face-to-face and, you know, and it just ended up with you guys sparring and sparring and sparring and, and no resolution, sometimes it's best to say, you know what, we need some help in this. We need some help in this. And you call in a neutral party, a, neutral, a third person, a neutral person who can, who can kind of listen and objectively say, this is where you or you or both of you got off a little off base. This is where the fault is. And a third party can be really, really helpful. But let me just tell you, for a Christian, that third party is not a judge. It's not a judge. The Bible takes away your right, as a follower of Jesus Christ, takes away your right to sue another brother. Because it looks horrible. It looks horrible. It makes Jesus looks bad, look bad. It makes the church look bad. It makes you look like a hypocrite. That third party is not a judge. Grab a trusted, uh, somebody with wisdom that you trust. 
Maybe it's an elder in the church. Maybe it's a staff member. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a very wise friend that you have or, or somebody that can be objective, okay? Don't go grab your wife or husband. They probably can't be objective, okay? Grab somebody who can be objective. They're actually, when it gets really serious and it feels like litigation is necessary, they're actually Christian uh, mediation groups out there that will come in and help mediate between a situation, um, and, and but those organizations are out there too, but... Stay out of the courts if you're a Christian, especially when it comes to another brother or sister in Christ, okay? All right, step five. Um, walk patiently and carefully through restoration. There's been this offense between you and another person, and you have come to some sort of agreement, some sort of peace, but that peace is very fragile for a while. And it's very important for you to walk patiently and carefully, and I'll add prayerfully, through that restoration process. Um, reconciliation can take a day or a few months or whatever it takes you to kind of get from conflict to peace. It, it's kind of a short term. Restoration oftentimes can take years of really and truly building back up that relationship, building back back up that friendship, whatever it is, um, you know, to where to where the offense is truly, honestly, behind you, right? It can take time. And so walk carefully through that, respectfully. Does that make sense? All right. I want to bring Phil up. Come on up, Phil. Um, Phil, for those of you who don't know, this is Phil Lockwood. And he is um, a valued member of our congregation. There you go. Um, when I first, Phil was my first contact with Living Hope. And he, um, I was pastoring a, a, in a church in Missouri at the time. He, he called and said, you guys needed a pastor. And my first connection th- to Living Hope was through Phil Lockwood. And I was just, I was blown away. He was an elder at the time uh, for Living Hope. And I was blown away uh, by that conversation with Phil. He, his heart for this church, his heart for Christ uh, was, I, I, I don't, I had come out of a lot of different churches that kind of had, uh, not all of them, but many of them had very kind of unhealthy leadership. And I just remember getting off the phone uh, with Phil after about an hour of conversation, and, and I just told my wife, I, I don't know that I've ever talked to an, an elder, which this is a really uh, oxy, kind of an oxymoron to even say this, but um, I don't know that I'd ever talked to an elder that had such a pastor's heart as I had had in that conversation with Phil. And you guys that know Phil know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, a lot, in a lot of churches, the elder position is kind of this board of supervisors type position. It tends not to be a spiritual position. We, we, we try to go against that here at Living Hope. We, we do our best to, when we bring up elders, we are bringing up spiritual leaders and you know, people who can be viewed as pastors in this church. And uh, anyway, I was just blown away by, in that, in that one little conversation, by Phil's love for Christ and his love for Living Hope and uh, his character and everything else. And so there was an instant connection made there. Long story short, we get here and uh, uh, start the process of, of uh, uh, my uh, role as pastor here and and the relationship between uh, me and the other elders and things like that. And and I was, I can remember being very, very excited. Let me turn my chair around a little bit. Um, I can remember being very excited when we moved here about, uh, the potential relationship I was going to have with Phil, I just felt like we were going to be best friends. I really did. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, and so when I got here, we were friendly, but I would say I wouldn't say we were best friends. No. And and that's fine. You, know, you can't be best friends with everybody, right? Um, and so, but over the course of several years, there began to be. Um, I, it wasn't anything huge, but there was always, not always, there was oftentimes just a little underlying tension between us. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah. Underlying tension. And there started to become a distance. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I think we both had, and hear me on this, expectations um, can ruin things or they can make things great, but you've got to keep your expectations in order. Um, and your expectations need to be God's expectations. Um, 
You know, there was an expectation after Jeff and I talked on the phone. Again, I was incredibly excited because um, when the first time I called him up, when I got a call from his former pastor uh, and somebody who he had worked for <coughs> down in the Bay Area, um, and I talked to Jeff, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's vision, his heart is exactly in the same place that God's been calling this church. And so I was incredibly excited to see that and see that coming. But once he got here, it was interesting because this, this tension happened, and then there started to be this kind of distance or this yeah. riff. And I wouldn't say at, at, at this point there was no, like, animosity between us. It was just uh, we've later, we later identified it as it, it, maybe you've had this relationship with other people in your life where communication just seemed to always kind of go like this, like, you would communicate and you felt like you were communicating well with the other person. And it just seemed like you were kind of missing each other in communication. So a lot of times there would be issues that we thought we were in agreement on. And then once, you know, a couple of weeks down the road, we realized, Oh, we were totally on different page or not totally, but maybe slightly on different pages or whatever. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were times I can remember going home to Angela and going, I, I'm, I don't know what's going on here because, you know, um, I swear Jeff said white and he had said black, you know, and I mean, we were, we were missing, um, on major issues a lot of the time, and it was just, yeah, and it was compounding. Things. It was it was frustrating, but at the same time, I had great love for Phil, and I, I believe Likewise. he had great great love for me, and and it, it wasn't like there was a total breakdown in our relationship or anything. It was just, so like I said, just kind of this underlying tension that seemed to be there often. And, um, and so that went on for uh, several years, you know, four, five years or so, where, where we got along well. We joked around with each other. I mean, you guys have seen us joke around with each other in service and things like that. And, and we'd love to tease each other and, and, and genuinely enjoyed that kind of relationship. But, but there was no, um, uh, deep other than, other than the bond we had in Christ, I would say there was no deepness in our friendship. Uh, right. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a couple, it was two or three years ago now, three, probably three, three years ago now. Um, Things kind of came to a head, and it, and we're not going to – we got some great lessons to teach from our experience, and, and I'm not going to dive into everything that went wrong between us because that's not really the issue. The issue is what we learned from it. Uh, but to just kind of uh, sum it up, I would say uh, we just were not on the same page with uh, philosophy of leadership, um, you know, that sort of thing. We were just kind of – and it came to a head about three years ago, and it got way more tense than normal. Yeah. 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 And so um, the other elders that were on uh, the, the elder board at that time were, were privy to all of this and, and uh, that sort of thing. But it just got really, really, really tense between us. And, and that was that process. Put that list up back up there, Jamie. That was that process, I think, of of re- that first step of recognizing that an offense exists where it was like, okay, this is more than just what we've been experiencing so far. This is, it's starting to look like a breakdown in our relationship. You know, before we were kind of working through things and now it started to feel like a breakdown, I would, I would say. Um, and so uh, there was some back and forth and long story short, um, I was offended. He was offended. I was hurt. He was hurt. I was angry. He was angry. Um, it just got honest. I wouldn't say it got sinful, but it got ugly for a while. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It got, it, you know, for me, it was, um, it was hard. Um, you guys know me. I get a little emotional at times. Um, thank God that he breaks our heart over things like this. Um, but it was incredibly hard because, uh, let me first start off by what we were both upset and angry about started out as something incredibly righteous. Right. Um, because one of the things that drew Jeff and I absolutely back together was the fact that when you boil it all away, when you take all the how to, or the, you know, how should we do this? How should this happen? When you boil it all away, what Jeff and I are both. So the primary drive in our life is to see people come into that life changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's, was the righteous thing that this all started on was uh, really a difference in how that should happen, a difference in the leadership style to get us there, a difference in what the priority should be to walk down that path. Um, one of the things that, that for me was incredibly hard, and just I'll admit this up front, I, I love the way Oswald Chambers says it here. He says, never make a principle out of your own experiences. Let God be as original with other people as he has been with you. 
And when Jeff showed up here, there were some ideas that God had laid on my heart and some experiences I had been through that became principles, and I wouldn't allow Jeff to be the leader that he needed to be here. Um, and God had to really deal with me on the fact that um, he called Jeff to pastor this church. You know, um, We were here before the doors ever opened on Living Hope You know, 14 years ago. And, um, 14 years ago this week, by the way, that's yeah. why there are cupcakes outside. <laughs> so. And, uh, so this, and, and, you know, God had clearly called us to this church. This was one of those times when I used one of the bullets in my gun telling my wife that, uh, you know, she wasn't really feeling a call to leave our old church in Vacaville and come up here to help plant this. Um, but I said, we've got to do this, you know, and, um, now it's very clear that God had us here for a purpose, you know, and Angela, um, came along with that and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to trust you in this. And then she's, thank God she's been here through this whole thing because we'll get into this more, but she's yeah. been a real sounding post for me through this and yeah. helped recenter my head. So, yeah, absolutely. anyway, but yeah, things, offenses like this can start out with something that's absolutely righteous. Um, so be careful. Um, don't get divided. You know, the main things are the plain things, you know, um, stick to those things. So I like to think we're in, we're on good biblical ground though, because Right, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, you know, I'll I'll be Paul, and uh, no, I'm just teasing. I'll be Barnabas. I'll be either. It's fine. They're in the I would Bible. Be Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and so don't don't start something. No, I'm just come teasing. on, Jeff. So, anyway, so we, uh, you know, if, if if you know the story of Paul and Barnabas in the Bible, Paul and Barnabas were missionary partners, and they'd been going around planting churches. And there was a a, a young man by the name of John Mark, who um, who Barnabas felt very. Uh, deeply that he wanted to take on another missionary journey with them. Uh, evidently, Paul had some sort of beef with John Mark. He, he had failed him in some way or something, and Paul put down his foot and said, absolutely no, I will not go on another trip with that guy. And, uh, and so because of Paul's firm stand in this area, wanting to start a church, just not with this guy, Barnabas's firm stance on the other side, also wanting to start churches, but with that guy, they parted ways. They parted ways, and, and actually the, the kingdom uh, expanded in greater ways because of that parting. Um, but, but I bring all that out just to say, even in the midst of doing God's work, uh, conflict can happen. And, like, and I like the way you put it, it righteous intentions, but, but at times, you know. Unguarded can get way out of hand. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we began then this process of, doing the face-to-face thing. Phil's a man of integrity, and it's one of the things I appreciate most about him. And so there was not a lot of, uh, you know, we weren't writing each other. We weren't, uh, you know, um, uh, we kept this very quiet. It was not something that we felt like the church needed to be, you know, it didn't need to become a, a church-wide issue or anything. It was an issue between us two. And, and so we began to speak to one another face-to-face. There were several uh, meetings and some of them casual, some of them more formal, you know, that sort of thing where we were just trying to get to the bottom of it. But it, there was also this process of, of bringing clarity to what was going on, kind of clearly defining why this has upset me, what, what, you know, what, what you have done, what you've said, whatever that has upset me. And that went on both for both sides of us and that sort of thing. And, um, this went on for two or three months and, um, and I'm just going to tell you, uh, and Phil's kind of already alluded to it, but in, in seven and a half years now that I've been here, that two or three months was the most painful of, of my time here. Um, I, was, I was hurt. I was disappointed because I, because I love Phil so much. And I felt like, and I, I think I was, it was almost like this mourning of a, of a relationship and what it could have been and, you know, that sort of thing. And it was just painful. And there were times I would be angry. There were times I would be paranoid. Uh, there were, uh, you know, there was, I can remember one night I ugly cried for an hour. I mean, just absolutely, you know, it's not running up my face instead of down. I mean, it was, it was a nasty cry session. And it was just, again, one of the most painful seasons of my ministry here. And, um, and I, Phil could absolutely, I think he could probably say the same thing. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, there were times for me where I felt like, you know, I'd, I'd been a part of this church and really, um, you know, during the transition time between our former pastor and Jeff coming, um, had really helped to pastor the church and stuff. And, you know, God gave me a love for living hope that blows my mind even to this day. Um, 
when Jeff says, I really love you guys, um, I understand that that's genuine because I feel the same way about this church. I feel the same way about this community. Um, but during that period of time, again, hats off to my wife, Angela. You know, God knows that man needed help her, and he gave me one that's amazing. Um, there were, it was Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I would come to church and sit in the chairs and watch Jeff teach and be bitter and pick fault with what he was teaching and find, uh, just continue to build the offense um, because, you know, I just was letting this thing run. There were things going on in my imagination about, you know, him turning the church against me, you know, and pushing me to the outside. And uh, Angela just kept checking in with me going, you know, you got to look at this a different way. It may not be as you're seeing it, you know. And, you know, there were things that I was holding against Jeff that later on in conversation, he had never, that was never what his intent was, and he, and he had never done it. But they were the way, I, you know, Jeff talked earlier about the fact that he's one of those guys that doesn't, you know, get offended easily. And uh, I tend to sometimes get offended before the hat hits the ground, um, you know, and I, I have to watch that. And she helps keep me in balance on that. But she, you know, I, Sunday after Sunday for months, I would wake up and I would be like, I don't want to go to Living Hope anymore. We need to leave. And I was that close to pulling my family and going and finding another church, uh, leaving, leaving Living Hope and uh, leaving it behind. I mean, it was, it was literally Sunday after Sunday. Um, there were Sundays I wouldn't show up because I just couldn't be here uh, because I was just so angry over the situation. And so it was deep. It was a really, really deep thing. Um, you know, we'll get into it a little more, but yeah. I really felt that it was, a lot of it was just me. Well, I think it's, it was one of those things that, that once it got to the point that it got to, um, now became now came the the part of us, you know, helping ourselves climb off of that cliff, you know, that sort of thing. And so, um, and I, I would just say that you know, of, of you know, there was only a handful of people that knew any of this was going on, and I can remember one at one time somebody telling me, um, you know, do, do we need to get more proactive? Are you afraid Bill's you know might try to split the church? Things like things like that. And and my response was, and you guys have heard me say, my qualifications for for people who I will listen to their criticism, and and it, it was my exact resp- same response where I said, I, I, I'm not worried about that one because I know beyond a sh- beyond a shadow of a doubt, Bill loves Jesus. I mean, he his his relationship with Christ was just unquestionable in in my mind. That I mean, he has a passionate love for his Savior. And two, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt he loves this church. And I don't think he would ever do anything intentionally to harm it. I really believe that. And, and then I, the third thing was I said, and despite what's going on, I really do believe, believe Phil still loves me. And, uh, and, and Phil was thinking I believed some of the same stuff about me, and, and it was just, it's really important. Now, it could have been, if it was another person who... Um, maybe the, didn't have those same criteria, then I might have been a little bit more proactive or defensive or whatever else. But I, I, I took great peace in holding on to those three facts because the enemy was constantly trying to get me to forget those three facts. Yeah. And for me, likewise, it was the same way. You know, there was the fact that Angela kept asking me. She said, you know, I said, it's time to leave. It's time to go. And she says, has God called you someplace else? And my answer to that was no, I didn't feel a calling. And so, you know, she pointed out to me it was a desire in my heart. But then the other thing was, in sitting through all the interviews with Jeff and spending the time with him, I still at a core knew who he was and knew what his passion was. And I need reminding from time to time, but she, you know, Angela wouldn't let me forget that, you know, Jeff is not your enemy in this thing. You know, you need to look, you know, and I remember going through marriage counseling and and it's something that we need to use in all our relationships. You know, they said, your wife is not your enemy, you know, Um, and I'm not saying Jeff's my wife, but he's not my enemy. Um, (laughs) You know, and that's, and that's the thing. We were both on a like-minded path. And so it was, it was the fact that there were these little stones of remembrance of who he was at his core. Um, that kept actually making me mad because they wouldn't allow me to walk away from this situation and just turn my back on it. Yeah, yeah. So we went through, like I said, a, a few months of just this intense kind of conflict between us. And then um, it was Phil who very wisely at one point said, um, what would you think about us bringing in a mediator? And I said, yeah, I think we need that. And uh, and so um, 
Pastor Raleigh Galgan from Valley Church uh, met us one night up at the church office, uh, just the three of us, and uh, I can't... Um, can't thank that man enough for his wisdom because um, he didn't really even say anything all that grand that night, but it was just the, his presence and he could speak very unemotionally and clearly about some things that we were having trouble, I think, putting some clarity on. And, uh, and so I, he, actually, I, Raleigh knew we were going to be doing this talk today and he wished he could be, he's out of, out of the state right now, but he, he really wanted to be here to, to see us. But um, um, anyway, I just... It, it was huge, and and like I talked about earlier with your checkbook, you know, sometimes you got to bring in that that expert help or or just a you know, uh, you know, just somebody who's not as emotional about the situation as you are. And Raleigh was that for us. I mean, he really sat down with us, and and uh, like I said, he didn't say anything that amazing that night, but just his presence and helping us kind of sort things out was just really, really beneficial. Um, yeah, he gave us a chance that night to speak with boundaries, um, and parameters, um, which is, you get to a point sometimes in a relationship, whether it be a marriage or, or a work relationship, you know, or, or ministerial relationships, um, where you do need that outside help. You do need somebody to come in and put some parameters because if there's not, it has a ten, there can be a tendency for it to spiral out of control to, uh, to get ugly. And, you know, and for me, I found that it's incredibly valuable to, look at things through somebody else's eyes, have somebody else back off and see the thing. Because for me, one of the things I've learned is as soon as you take on an offense or allow something to become an offense, it becomes right here. It becomes, because when you're offended by something, it's personal. And when it's personal, it's up close. And you lose your ability to stand back and see the whole picture of what's going on. And so Raleigh came in and gave us that ability to step back and now see the whole forest rather than having my face right up against the bark of a tree, you know. Um, and that's, that is a huge, huge point yeah. for me. Yeah, it was good. Um, so after that night, I felt like we got, it was kind of the first step really towards us getting things squared up. And, um, and it wasn't fixed at that point, but we had come to the truth, I think, anyway. And, yeah. and so it was... Um, at that point, that that last step, I think, began, which was the walk patiently and carefully through restoration. And and so what this looked like, I think, for us was Phil and I have always had kind of a, even though maybe I've talked about our tension, we've always had, I think, a, a kind of a fun relationship, too. Like I said, we joke around a lot with each other and, you know, um, type of thing. We're, we're, we won't, we're not afraid to stoop to yo mama jokes and, you know, things like that. And so, um, so anyway, but, but from that point forward... Um, I, I didn't go to humor with Phil. I, I walked more carefully with him because I didn't want to do or say anything that would jeopardize the peace that we had started. And so it was very careful. It was, uh, you know, for the next several months, maybe even a year or so, really um, just being careful with, with the way that we communicated with each other because we, again, cared about each other and didn't want to upset the work that had taken place. Yeah, and I recognize too, you know, in my own life um, that, you know, we might want to try and remain humble or try and, thank you, Jim. Oh, thank you, man. Um, excuse me, I need to go. <laughs> we always want to, you know, try and remain humble in things, but sometimes we've got to recognize some of the gifts that God's given us. And I, you know, um, one of the things in my working through this was recognizing that, um, God had made me a leader. Um, I had been a strong leader in aspects of things and, and within the church and stuff. And recognizing that that was part of the problem uh, for me was feeling that my leadership, you know, um, should be something that should be heard out. And Jeff was listening, but uh, when, you know, I'm one of those people that struggled with the fact that if you're not listening and, and doing it my way, then you're obviously not listening to me. Um, and that's... That's something I've had to work through in my life because, you know, it's, it's, it's not about my way. God's, God's, you know, given me a way to do things in my ministry that, that's different. You know, it's the, the Paul and Barnabas thing. Um, but as we worked through that process and as we, uh, as we were moving forward through it, um, there was a book that 
my wife pointed out to me. Um, it was a book called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere's. Um, and after about the seventh time through it, God really started working on my heart. Um, I say the seventh time through it because I want you guys to know um, it's not easy. Uh, the first three or four times through the book, I was like, this is, this is bugging the crap out of me. I, I don't want to do these things that he's asking me to do in this book. Um, I was just, you know, frustrated. I wasn't going to reconcile. This thing's Jeff's fault. You know, even though we worked through things and identified stuff, um, I want it to be Jeff's fault because I'm tired of being wrong about things. And that was, these are these nasty emotions and feelings that I was dealing with. But uh, I started moving through this and choosing to go, you know what, above all else, what does it talk about in the Bible? It talks about unity, you know, and unity is that oneness. And it's that. And I started looking down when you boil it all the way again, the unity and the oneness that we're looking for is that aspect that we are both striving for the kingdom. We're both striving to see God glorified. We're both striving to see people come know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And finally, there was a point in this book where, am I, is it okay for me to go here? Yeah, go yeah. There was a point, a point in this book where um, John Bevere's was having to deal with a situation where he had also been offended in ministry because he's in, in a pastor. And, and uh, the thing that, that was so poignant to me was the fact that he felt that God had laid it on his heart to start praying for all those things that, you know, there are things that we would love in our relationship. It's like, for me, it's like, okay, God, someday it would be awesome just to hear your voice audibly. Lord, I just, I would love, I want to know your will clearly. I want to feel your peace and your understanding. I want you to, you know, lead and guide me, you know, make me the man that you need me to be so that things you want me to do can be done and stuff. And it was in this book, he said, Start praying that for the person that you're offended with. And ask that for them instead of yourself. And as I started doing that, it was probably four or five times into it um, that I was like, man, this is hard. I don't want to do this. But then uh, probably on the fourth time, I felt my heart starting to break a little bit. And then the fifth time I started praying that for Jeff, I was praying, God, bless him. God, anoint him. God, I pray that all the blessings that you would have in store for me for my ministry, if I never see those, please give those to Jeff. I I would rather have him have those than me. That I really started to mean it, and it started to break my heart. And it's really hard to stay offended with somebody you're praying for. And then God started to really reveal the true character of Jeff again to me, rather than the character that I'd made him out to be. And Jeff can be quite a character. Um, (laughs) Anyway, sorry, I'd take that shot. Um, But um, it really, you know... It takes work to reconcile. It, it is a lot of work. And, 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 guys, the reason that we wanted to share this with you all uh, this morning, in fact, we've been in conversation about sharing this for at least a year and a half. Um, and and uh, this just ended up being the right time. But uh, the reason we wanted to share with you, when Jesus, and I, I think I talked about this last week, but when, when Jesus prayed for us to be unified as a church, those weren't just empty words. Um, again, He's on his way to the cross, and that's the most important thing on his mind at that moment. God, let my church be unified. And um, and I, not that we could sit up here and say uh, we're perfect or did everything perfect, or you know, because that's certainly not the case. But our hope is that you would love each other and love Jesus and love this church so much that you would fight for unity. I mean, sometimes unity has to be fought for. And, and so that, that you would stop being a person, if this is you, stop being a person that you run or blow up the room or whatever else every time you get offended. That's the popular thing to do. That's what, that makes the most interesting story, you know, whatever. But the church, I mean, the world around us uh, expects us to do that expects us to be mean to each other. They expect us to fight over insignificant things. They expect us to act, you know, unchristlike. They've come to expect that from churches. And I want our church to be a difference in that. I want us to be a, a people who will who will fight for unity all, at all costs because it's the most important thing. I, I'm, I'm convinced, and, and we've enjoyed it up until now, and I, and I have no reason to expect that we won't continue to enjoy it, but one of the things that makes living hope living hope is the unity that we experience here. It's powerful, it's tangible, and it is, it's, it's good. And, um, and honestly, 
when I'm in conversation with the elders about, you know, because they're sometimes occasionally church discipline issues come up. One of the things that we will use as a, a kind of guide as to how much we need to get involved in a certain situation is, is this impacting the unity of our church? That's a question that we ask. Is this situation impacting the, if it is, then we're on it like white on rice. If it's not, then, then we'll, you know, we'll be a little bit more patient or, you know, whatever else. Uh, but unity is critical. And could I just challenge you this morning to be, like, to kind of covenant within yourself and with God that from this point forward, I will not break fellowship with another believer. I won't do it. I will not, like Phil said, I'm not going to be Phil's enemy. He's not going to be my enemy. We might disagree. We might be very emotional about the way we disagree. But I will not break fellowship with, with, with him. I'm going to fight for unity. And it might take time, and it might not be comfortable, and that whole thing, but it's worth it. It's worth it because on the other side of it, what I can tell you is that my relationship with Phil is stronger than it's ever been, ever been. Likewise, you know, and it's, yeah, we, we are definitely stronger than we've ever been. There's a uh, deeper love in my heart for Jeff than there's ever been. Um, I pray for him more regularly than I ever did before. Um, I think that was part of the problem too, you know, pray for the leaders. It's a hard thing um, to lead you know, the way God wants you to lead, but it, I pray for him more than I ever did before, and I, and I, I truly, truly love him, and, um, you know, uh, remember these things, those things that we get offended by are those things that would tend to separate us, a lot of times can be differences in the way we see how things should be done. Just remember, I mean, uh, my heart is really for uh, ministry out on the streets to go and catch those that would never darken the door of a church and build relationships and share the gospel with them and stuff. And that was the direction that I was feeling like this church should go in. But then God really woke me up to it's, it's the and. It's, it's we need this so that those have a place to go for discipling and mentoring and, and coming. That You know, it's, I, I can't be on the streets doing discipling and mentoring 25, 30 people at a time if, if God blesses us with that kind of a outreach you know that we do but um it's the aspect that both of us can do more devastation to the enemy's camp doing what we've been called to do and realizing that that's what god's called us to do versus you know trying to conform either one of us to fit into the other one's mold mm. you know absolutely good all right well we're going long so with that we'll, that will be the last word and uh thank you guys for hearing us out today and i th- think thank you so much phil for coming up and sharing with me i really honestly appreciate it it was, it was good so um, why don't you close us in prayer, and then we'll, we'll go home. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are above all things and that your ways are so much higher than our ways. Um, Lord, I thank you that you won't allow us to, to rest if we're in disunity. Um, Lord, I thank you that you did make unity uh, such a high priority. And uh, Lord, I thank you for Living Hope Church. Uh, God, as we just enter into this really exciting time, our 14th year anniversary, and we're moving into a new building, God, I pray that your anointing would be upon this church. Uh, God, help us to be who you've called us to be so that we can do what you've called us to do. Help us to recognize that each and every one of us is gifted, special, and individually so that there's a part in the kingdom that you want us to play. And help us to get a hold of the fact that the thing that should be first and foremost in our life is our pursuit of bringing glory and honor to you and glorifying the kingdom and pointing people towards Jesus. God, I thank you for Jeff. I pray that you would continue to anoint him, to speak your word in this church, and I thank you for each and every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.